Good morning. Can we just bow in prayer and place our hearts before the Lord in his word? Father, uh, we come to you again this morning now, um, surrendering our hearts and our souls to you, to your son Jesus, who is Lord and King. And we invite the presence of your spirit now to inform our minds as we surrender, as we submit, as we place ourselves under your word. We say to you again, Lord, this is your church, not ours. Would you open our eyes to see the vision, the possibility that is ours because of the victory Jesus has purchased for us through his death and through being raised by your mighty power. Lord, I ask that you would remove any distraction that's in this room, that came into this room through our hearts or minds, things that are of concern, that are weighing on us. Lord, get me out of the way of what you want to say to us today. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. As I've been preparing this sermon throughout the week, I've been wondering what to say. (laughs) I'm still wondering what to say. Um, Because in one hand, it's a pretty straightforward sermon that you've probably heard 50 times in your lifetime as a Christian, if you've been a Christian. This is a familiar passage to talk about when we talk about the church, is a description of the first church after Pentecost and what happened. And the temptation would be to go through these five, four or five things and say, this is what happened at Pentecost, so this is what we need to do as a church. And if we did that, we might be instructed, but we entirely missed the point. Because the point of this passage, and I think the burden that I have for us as a church is to grasp, again, that God has called us to be the church, not just know about the church. That these things that are described in this passage are only possible, the only way it's possible, is through the empowering presence of God through his Holy Spirit. So I need to start by just maybe bringing us up to date again and remind ourselves what we already know about the Holy Spirit. In a group this size, no doubt, we've come from many different backgrounds, many different traditions, some long-standing in the Christian faith, others may be new. And so it, I think it's important to just start with saying, what do we know and what is the orthodox teaching or the basic agreed understanding of the Holy Spirit, and how are we to think about that as we look at a passage like this? So let me just briefly summarize what is by and large agreed upon by most Christians uh, through the centuries. Gordon Fee, uh, a great theologian who's written a lot on this subject, describes the Holy Spirit as God's empowering presence. We affirm with the church through the ages that the Holy Spirit is the third person, we say, of the Trinity. 
Father, Son, Spirit. One God, three persons. Hard to grasp, it's mystery, it's other, but we affirm with those who have come before us that this is true, that God is a person who comes to us, reveals himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. And it's particularly important that we understand that Spirit is a person. Invisible, like the wind, hard to grasp, but Spirit is a person. We have a relational God. Knitted in your heart, in your DNA, with every other human being, is this longing to belong. You were made for relationship. Your very life is a relationship with God, an invitation to a relationship with God. And the Spirit presents as person, as person that loves, as person that can be grieved when we don't acknowledge or we go the other way. The Holy Spirit is person. The purpose of the Spirit is to point to Jesus. Everything the Spirit does, everything the Spirit says, points to Jesus. The purpose of the Spirit is to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is the world's one true Messiah. How does that happen? The third thing I want to say is that the Spirit is a presence. That Scripture teaches that upon receiving Jesus, upon understanding His Lordship, the Holy Spirit enters into our lives as Jesus in us, God's presence in you and me and in all of us together. And that presence comes by way of comfort when we need it in mourning, through disappointment. Some of us today desperately need comfort. And the Holy Spirit is given by God as a gift to you to have the comfort of your soul and where circumstances to know as we've been singing, Jesus is Lord, God reigns no matter what the circumstances. The Spirit comes through conviction. That sense in our soul, in our heart, when we've done wrong, when we said something, when we've not done what we should, there's a conviction in us. And that's the prompting of the Holy Spirit saying, that's wrong. We need to make that right. The Spirit gives counsel. It's called a comforter. God's empowering presence given by God the Father, released through the resurrection of Jesus, the promised Holy Spirit. So with that as a backtrack, let's just talk quickly about the context here and mention a few things about this passage. 
the book of Acts, as you know, is a sequel. It's the second book or the second letter, really, a long treatise written by Dr. Lute to explain to a, a, a person the events in the life of Jesus. And in Luke, his gospel, he tells the life of Jesus. And now in what's called Acts of the Apostles, probably should be called the continuing acts of the church or the acts of Jesus in the church. But it's the continuing story of what happens after the resurrection. So the gospels take us up through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And now we are with the disciples waiting because that's what Jesus told them to do told them to wait for the Spirit. They didn't have a clue what he was talking about. But they were to stay in Jerusalem to pray and to wait. And some five weeks later, the event called Pentecost happens. And during that event, as you could read just briefly before this passage, the Holy Spirit is poured out in these disciples Men and women in, gather together who are waiting. The, Ho the Holy Spirit is poured out and it looks like tongues of fire. And they begin speaking and proclaiming the Lordship of Jesus Christ in loud praises. And here's the amazing thing, in every language that could be understood by the people who might be hearing it. And so these Galilean, mostly Galilean men who only knew one language start speaking all these other languages prompted by the Holy Spirit. And what are they saying? They're prophesying. They're saying, Jesus is Lord. A new kingdom has come. A new order has been set in the world. Everything we understood about the world up to now has changed. Why? Because Jesus is King. He's died. He's raised. And He reigns on high. And that changes everything. And this is being said in however many words, such that all of the people around start hearing this and they marvel at it and say, "How? what's going on here? How can I hear in my own language when this guy doesn't speak that language? And so Peter stands up and says, here's what's going on. Joel talked about this, the prophet Joel. He said, there's going to come a time when I will, God will release my spirit and young men and young women will prophesy and they'll dream dreams and they'll see wonders and acts that you've never seen before. And what's happening in there is I'm pouring out my spirit on all flesh. And Peter stands up and says, this is what's going on now. It's the fulfillment that we had from the prophets before. It's the fulfillment in Peter's mind because he knows now for sure this is what Jesus told us five weeks ago was happened. When we were in the upper room, he said, I need to go. And you're going to mourn. But when I go, I will send one in my place, the comforter. And the Spirit will explain to you all these things that you can't understand now. And so Jesus, Peter says, this Jesus who, whom God has made Lord, you crucified. And they're cut to the heart. What should we do? Peter says, repent, be baptized. That's all prelude to what we look at and have read this morning. Where now, as we look at the passage, it is a description of the promise fulfilled. 
In other words, this is not a passage that teaches. As I said before, the temptation for us is to look at this and say, well, they uh, studied God's word, they prayed, they worshiped, and they had fellowship. So if we're a church, we need to do those four things. No. I mean, yes, but no. No, what, 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 what Luke is saying is, let me describe for you, let me give you a picture of what it would look like or what it did look like when the Spirit was poured out. These are not prescriptions. There's a lot of other passages that's, that tell us to do those important things. Right now, we want to get a picture of what it looks like because you know what? We need to look like this because this is what it looks like when the Spirit is present in power. Well, what does it look like? In other words, what would it look like if we were a people who did what we know God commands through Paul and other passages to live by, to walk in, and to keep in step with the Spirit? What would it look like if we did that? Because here's the thing, you and I, we were made for relationship. But our relationship with God can never be filled, completely filled, until we are in relationship with fellow believers. We are created for community. We are created for one another. We are created to be in fellowship, in communion, under God's reign, together, because it's in that community, something can happen that cannot happen anywhere else in our world. Something can happen when God's people get together in worship, in fellowship, in teaching, in having fun, whatever it is, something can happen in that space because the empowering presence of God that's impossible to happen anywhere else. That's the glory of the church. We are a called out, called together people. That's what the word church means in the Greek. It's ekklesia, ek meaning out of, and ekklesia meaning the root of the word call. The church is a called out people. We're called out of the world into fellowship with one another so we can go into the world and be the light of Christ. That's the church. What does it look like? Luke mentions three devotions. He says they were constantly devoted, devoting themselves to three things. The apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread, which is a reference to worship and communion and prayer. Okay? But what would that look like? And so let me just try to describe for you in my mind's eye, who knows what it, what, what it was, but I think what Luke wants us to think about is this. Look, when the people of God come together and the Holy Spirit is present in power, the word comes alive. Just, just can you imagine with me? Here's Peter and John and, and James. And, there's, and yeah, see, they're not going into the library and studying the books. There is no library. They don't even have documents. This is an oral tradition. What are they doing? They're reciting the Psalms they know from the Torah and the memories of that. But here's what they're really doing. Remember that time we were in the boat and the storm came up and Jesus was sleeping there and we said, Lord, aren't you care? 
And you know what he, remember what he did? He got up and said, peace be still. And all the waves stopped. And it went completely calm. I think that's what they're teaching. That's what they're saying. They're telling the stories of Jesus. Remember the time in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said that thing that no one of us understood? And here's what it means now. Remember when we were in the upper room and he said he was going to die? We didn't. We were clueless. We thought the kingdom was going to come right here and we're going to destroy Rome and we're going to set up us and we're going to win. I mean, I like the song, but I almost don't like the song because the winning isn't about here and now. The victory that we have in Jesus Christ has already been won. And it doesn't mean we win here. Sometimes we lose. It means that Christ is king. The word comes alive. When's the last time you've been in a Bible study? where it wasn't a didactic learning filling your brain, when all of a sudden the words start reading you instead of you reading the word. When you heard it, it pierces your heart. When's the last time we, we came together and in our conversation, we talked about what Jesus is doing in our midst, what the Holy Spirit is in his power and his presence. When was the last time our eyes have been opened to see something we never heard or seen before, never even thought of? That's the Holy Spirit. The word comes alive. Secondly, relationships become authentic. Hey, read a book a number of years ago by George Hunter. It's called The Celtic Way of Evangelism. And it studied, it was, the book was about how St. Patrick went to Ireland and literally evangelized Ireland over many years. He planted 1,000 churches in, in, in Ireland. And you know what, the way he did it? He, he went into the community and started serving the people. They set up a little community. When people needed food, they gave food. When people's and they just lived the message. And God used it to evangelize Ireland. In his book, he talks about interviewing, I can't remember how many, but he spent a year or more inter interviewing secular people, that is, people who don't have any, any faith at all. And he asked them what they thought of Christians. And he said he got three primary replies. Secular people, when they hear or look at Christians, wonder, do they really believe what they say they believe? That's the first question. Second question is, yeah, they seem to believe it. I don't doubt their belief. But did they live by it? They actually do what they say. And the third one's the killer. Oh yeah, they believe it. Oh yeah, they do it. But it makes no difference in their life. I've known Christians like that. 
I've known churches like that. You know what the difference is? The Spirit is not present. Oh no, it's present, but it's been grieved. It's been put down. It's been squelched so that it can't be released. When the Spirit is present, the Word is alive. Our relationships are authentic. There is a common life. Our heart goes out to those in need. We all come together. We have everything in common. This is not socialism. This is what the church is called to be. Do you have a need? Those with too much give to those who have too little. That's the Christian faith. That's what it ought to look like. Everywhere you turn, whatever part of the world you look at, that's what Christians do because that's when they're filled with the Spirit. And then finally, worship is spontaneous. It's every day, every day in the temple. And then at home, having meals together, breaking bread. And breaking bread because that's where Jesus was often, so often recognized. He was recognized when he divided the loaves, 5,000, 4,000. He was recognized when in the road to Emmaus when the two men went to the inn and they didn't know who they were talking to and it was Jesus. And it wasn't until Jesus broke bread and gave it to them that their eyes were open and then he was not there anymore. But they realized they'd been walking with the Lord. And then at the Sea of Capernaum, you know, breaking bread again. The, rec- the, the disciples recognize this is Jesus. We break bread as we will today. Celebrate the Lord's table because in this element of bread and in the cup, Jesus is present. His presence is here, which leads our hearts to be full of joy and praise. And because of that, we come to our knees and we pray, O oh Lord, Lord, forgive us. Lord, bless us. Lord, be with so-and-so. Lord, teach us. Lord, change us. Lord, your Lord. That's what it looks like. Is that what's happening here? Do we have a sense of awe? See, there are three results to this. Awe. Everyone was filled with awe. People were being healed. Great things were changing. I mean, it, this, was, this is like, could you imagine being part of this? This is the most exciting thing you could ever be a part of. They were glad and joyful with sincere hearts. And they were a tangible, visible witness, a community of contrast to the world. Everyone was marveling. Look at this. See, there's no question whether it meant any difference. Oh, it meant everything. There's something about these people where it's tangibly different. I want that. I don't know what that is, but I want it. Imagine being in a church like that. Well, friends... That's not just an ideal. And it's not something you strive for. It's not something you build a program about or hire a pastor to do for you. Everything we need 
as a congregation has already been provided through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the empowering presence of his Holy Spirit. This is God's vision for Pathway Church. This is the reality that God has been waiting, may I say, grieving to provide. But it won't happen if we don't give up control. It won't happen until we repent of the pride and anything else that might be keeping us as a church to come together, fall on our knees and say, Father, pour out your spirit. Pour out your spirit. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you and ask that you would um, do through your spirit what you have sent your spirit to do. There are some people right now that need comfort, just to know comfort, to, that they're loved. Would you love them and encourage them? There's some that may need wisdom and counsel. Spirit, would you bring wisdom, open eyes to see perspectives and opportunities that we couldn't see before. And some of us perhaps need conviction. Lord, I pray that you would not let us rest until we have confessed what we've been keeping from you. Lord, do that in me, do that in leaders, do that in all, all of us. Oh, Lord, I pray. I pray that you would break down the walls of pride in this church. Show us how to be your people. We long to be long. We long to see your kingdom come manifest here and now. Forgive us for trying to control, manage, or program your spirit. Release. Come. Come be present. Thank you, Father, that you love us with an everlasting love. Thank you for Jesus who makes all things possible. Thank you now for this bread and cup where we come to remember and to celebrate that Jesus Christ is King and the same power of the resurrection that lifted Jesus from the grave is ours today to be your people. And so teach us to come with faith to receive that 
and with great anticipation of the work you're going to do in individual lives and in the lives of this community. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. We end our service with communion. Frequently called the Lord's table when we celebrate what Jesus taught in that upper room the night before he was betrayed or the night he was betrayed. So I want to ask the ushers to come forward to be prepared and ask you, each of us individually, to do two things. The first thing, to search your heart, to examine whatever God may have been saying to you, if there is something to uh, confess to confess that if there's an altar over here to do that privately if you'd like to speak with someone over here if that's not um, relevant to you right now uh, use this time to invite the Holy Spirit into your life to be renewed that as you take these elements they would come with power and deep meaning When you come forward, the custom is for the folks on the ends to go to the wall and then come up the aisle as you go to each station and those in the middle um, to go to the aisles here, these aisles, and then come up. No, come down. That's right. Thank you. To come down the middle aisle. <laughs> come the middle aisle and then so we're all going back the same way. Okay. Our custom here is to uh, receive the elements, but to take them, uh, not to take them until you go to your seat, and then I'll lead us in that. But use this time right now of reflection, confession, uh, invitation, whatever is important for you. That's the first thing. But then the second thing we will celebrate together, where communion is not meant to be an individual experience. We come together and celebrate together what God has done. So come receive the elements and I'll lead you in a moment in receiving them.